0: Welcome back to the Y Hockey periodically covering the Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup final podcast. It's by periodically, you mean 27 years. Uh, David Dwork of uh, the Hockey News now, actually. It's a different intro than when we have you know, on you the last. There you go. It's great to see. We love the Hockey News.
1: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Well,
0: yeah, you are. They're signing your checks now. <laughs> yeah, no,
1: it's, it's been great, man. It's awesome. Uh... Being able to do a bit more coverage of the team and uh, it couldn't have picked a better time <laughs> to do it.
0: Did they have any crazy. prediction skills over there? Better than ours, I guess. I
1: don't I don't think anybody saw this coming. Maybe maybe Paul Maurice, maybe. Actually, he, you I'm going to say very nice so... things
0: about Paul Maurice on this show, which is if you've listened to Why hockey we haven't done all that often, but I will say that I don't even think he would have predicted this. Yeah, it's
1: it's that's part of what's made it so amazing though, right? It's... Well, what's more amazing is
0: uh, I was listening to uh, the Levitard show, because of course we all are at this point, and they were doing their uh, their gas bag segment, which was very, very funny because they just cut up old bits of people, you know, embarrassing themselves about the Panthers. And I'm remembering not just our show, in which we embarrassed ourselves about the Panthers quite a bit. I don't know how wrong we were, but we certainly embarrassed ourselves, or at least I did. The last show we did, you remember that. It was two nights before Christmas. We recorded it the day of a game. And uh, I was basically sounding the alarm like, this is bad. Incredible how uh, things change in five months.
1: Yeah, well, that, they've said, I, Paul Maurice said a few times that he points to like New Year's, the James against Caroline and the Rangers as the two turning point games of the season where suddenly the team figured out, oh, we have to work this hard to be this good in this system. And that was the gra- the beginning of the gradual process to what we've gotten to today, which is, I don't know, two degrees from insanity as we wait a few more days for the Stanley Cup
0: finals to begin. Two degrees from insanity. They're going to have 10 days off, though. Yeah, it's okay.
1: I, I, they Nobody seems anything but fine with, uh, with the extra time to rest, to recuperate, to get at full strength. Uh, I think as the playoffs have gone on, this team has gotten so comfortable playing a certain way, like seeing the success that they've gotten from it, that they kind of understand exactly what's i mean they've been they've been having it hammered home for them for months now what's required of them and what they need to do so now it's just kind of reached the point where it's almost muscle memory and they're getting the results that make it that much easier to execute and yeah i, I don't think anybody's concerned at all about the time off i think it's just going to be when the day comes where the final begins they will click back into their gamer game day routine and get back to work and you can't really uh can't really think, fault them for feeling anything but confident at this point, the way the playoffs have played
0: out. I mean, they did have a four-game sweep in which they played five games, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, right? They, they are a little bit ahead of the, uh, the curve in that regard. As As much as we could joke about this, and I think sometimes joking in situations like this, usually it's in a more negative, like, how is this happening? But in this case, I'm joking because I'm still kind of stunned that it's happened, even though I think all of us after game one, I think Carolina thought, okay, this is actually going to happen. They're going to get to this point. And well, what point did it dawn on you that, I mean, there's many points on this run where it dawns on people that this is something beyond expectations. But at what point did it dawn on you, like, this is really going to happen? That we are going to witness something that is beyond anybody's wildest expectations for a season that was, a minute or two away from total collapse multiple times?
1: I think somewhere in in the realm of games one and two in Toronto. I think the Boston series, the comeback, I think that was just so shocking and just so unbelievable when it actually happened, when Verhady scored that goal. like Until the moment that puck went in, I think there was a part of me that just couldn't see it happening just based off of what we thought was reality at that time, which clearly we were wrong. Um, But I think it was when they got to the next round and they won the first two games in Toronto. And you're like, okay, maybe it wasn't just a ridiculous series. Maybe this team is really this good right now. And then from that point on, it was just having that cemented and having the Panther were just kind of further like, yep, this is real. Yep. This is really happening. You can believe it. You can, you don't pinch yourself. This is reality. You're not sleeping. And, and now it's, it's, finally reached this point of confidence where it's not just disbelief and amazement and wide eyed. And I can't believe what I'm seeing, but now like, I feel like there's this overwhelming sense of just comfort and belief in what this team has been able to, the way they've been able to perform during the playoffs. It's just, it's really, it's fun. As somebody who's been following this team since I was very, very small, this is really fun to be, to be able to behold, To be a part of it's been great Matt I'm having a blast I hope you are and everyone else listening to this is
0: it's very interesting how I look at the different spectrum of happiness for whether you are joining this run as a bandwagoner which is totally fine by the way and I want to commend everybody who's been doing this as in following the Panthers or rooting for them for many years there's no gatekeeping Everybody is out there just saying, please, this is great. We're just as shocked as you are. Have fun with us. Like, usually in runs like this, you kind of see some gatekeeping somewhere. I, I remember it from past runs of hockey teams I've seen. There's none here. That's that's a credit to the Panthers fan base, which I do want to commend. But there's the le- different levels of happiness for, say, that the happiness for the people, the, the fans who you interact with, who have legitimately been doing this for 27 years, waiting for another moment like this. And for some of these players, and you're happy for them for different reasons, because you have the players who have proven themselves in Florida, getting a second or a third chance. And then there are the, the players like Barkov who have had eight coaches in 10 years in the league and now get to finally have a run. So I find that interesting too. It's that you're happy for a bunch of different reasons for all these different groups of people connected to this team.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, you talk about the particularly like Barkov and Ekblad who have been here the longest, um, but it's just like Barkov, we've asked him about it and you know, it's like pulling teeth trying to get Barkov to like really, really open up because he's such a team first guy. He's like, he's like Bob. He'd rather talk about how good his teammates are than how dog, talk about how good he is. Um, but it's, it's great, Matt, like aside from the Barkov and the Uclad stories, just the veterans that are coming, like, you know, whether it's the guys like Nick cousins or Colin white that are just trying to, you know, sign with Florida for that opportunity to do the do the for uh, guy, I mean, a lot of the guys that are getting attention are like the, uh, the waiver claims, the Forslings, Mahura's. It's just, as you said, it's just across the board. There are so many cool stories. And I think that's, that's part of why maybe we've gotten a little bit more comfortable with this run, that it's reality. I feel like on so many playoff runs, whatever the sport may be, you know, basketball, baseball, whatever, football, it doesn't matter. uh, The majority of the time a team goes on title run. There's always some, it's, there's a story behind it. There's some crazy bounces. There's some amazing plays. There's just, there's always some things that happen that you feel like are out of your control that contribute to this amazing story. It's you don't usually see where the best team, like, it, like if Boston would have just won the regular season and gone on a run to win the Stanley Cup, great story for Boston, but probably not a whole lot of miraculousness or intrigue or excitement. You had a team like the Panthers going on this ridiculous run and they're getting all these bounces. Toronto hitting a thousand goalposts. Sergei Vibrovsky is pinning the puck between his skate blade and the post and overtime. It's just all these crazy little, funny little bounces and hops and things that are going the Panthers way. Just kind of combined to build on this feeling like you're seeing something almost otherworldly and the the run just it you feel that much more confident as it goes on and I, I say you I mean me I I, I think maybe people are th- feeling the same way I don't know uh, I know everybody's having a blast but just the way that this story is being told at least to this point you get the feeling like this is how a an amazing championship story is told like this is how it, it's played out in front of you so I feel like as long as they continue on this path which you have no reason to think they won't like, this is just, I don't know. It's it's just crazy to be a part of. And if they can pull it off, Matt, and if they can make this, make this a championship season, I mean, it's something we're all going to be talking about for a long, long time.
0: Well, I've always said that at least in hockey in recent years, the cap hour, particularly that the best assemblage of talent or the best team in a run doesn't often win the cup you know, the two lightning teams that won the Stanley cup were not the best versions of the lightning. The 2019 team was, I mean, I know my co-host disagrees with that, but like, if you look on terms of talent and, and regular season, all of that, like the capitals, of course that 2018 team wasn't the best version of them. This is not the best version of the Panthers last year's team, arguably in many ways was better. And then you could even say the 21 team was better in certain ways. It's funny how in this sport, it's, it's oftentimes the team that isn't the best in air quotes that ends up going on the run. Although my co-host did predict the Panthers to beat every team they've played in the playoffs. And I only started saying that they were going to win when they played Carolina. So.
1: Well, credit to the loyalty of your co-host, first of all, who mm. goes there. Um, but I think what you're, you know, like the point you're making, it's the best roster of players. Like it, you know, that doesn't really mean much when the playoffs starts, like the best team that's playing the best hockey is going to more times than not that, you know, the creams and a rise to the top and you don't have to go that far back in time to get some decent examples of that. I think, what was it? Like 2018, maybe if I don't know when the blues won, that was 19, worst. 2019 when the blues won, they were the worst team in hockey, I think at Christmas and ended up winning the Stanley cup. Uh, when the Kings won in 2012, they got in at the last in the last game of the regular season as an eight seed. And they rode a goalie that was red hot and Jonathan quick. And Anze Kopitar and that entire team that they put together. So it, there's, it's not like it's a crazy story, but when it comes to hockey, teams can be so evenly matched that whoever's playing the best brand of hockey at that time of the season, whoever's at the best version of themselves, the best roster doesn't mean anything. The best team playing right now, the best four lines, that's who's going to succeed, and that's what the Panthers are doing. And that's just combined with the fact that they have an incredibly good roster that is as healthy now as they've been all year. Like for all the trials and tribulations and all the crap that they had to go through during the regular season between injuries and guys getting sick and that insane schedule that they had to go through for the first two thirds of the year, it's all falling into place for them at the perfect time right now. And it just kind of goes back into my last answer when I was just saying how everything just feels like it's happening at the right time at the right place for the right team. And that's just part of it. And they might not have the best roster, the best roster in hockey to make the playoffs. They're probably eliminated by now. You want to look at whether it's Boston or Toronto, um, you know, Colorado, perhaps, you know, maybe not, you know, they're missing a big guy, but you see what I'm saying, right? I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, let's be honest. No team long-winded. that
0: has Eric and Mark Stahl on it should reasonably making a cup run in 2023. And I'm not just saying that as a, I strongly dislike what they did in March in during an important game, by the way, that they bounced back from. Uh But if you're if they're playing important roles for you in 2023 you you probably shouldn't be making a cup run and yet here we are and it goes back to something that my co-host has said that i do believe in is that this group was way better than it showed through most of the regular season for obvious reasons but also that the core was never the problem with this team it was the margins and everything that went wrong on the margins in the regular season or most of it has now gone right on the margins almost entirely in the playoffs and what do you attribute that to? Because I have my theory, and I wrote about it on the, the substack, but it's more than just luck and good timing when you have a team like this that has the ability to go on a run, as this one clearly did.
1: I think it was an extended period of time that it took them, because you're you're talking about a team that won the President's Trophy last year that had been working for several seasons on learning a specific puck possession high octane style, and they mastered it last season. And you saw the results of that. They dominated the regular season. They scored a ton of goals. It was exciting, it was fun. And that was what they were learning and trained to do. Everything changed when the coaching staff changed. And now you've got a team that's, all they've been taught is hang on to the puck, possess, possession, zone time, whatever zone, defensive zone, offensive zone. Now they're almost being told, no, possess it a little bit less, dump it a little bit more, make the other team pay. Use your physicality. And it took a long time for that to really stick. And that's why you saw they seemed unlucky for much of the year, because they're a team full of skill up front. Like this is a team that could score goals no problem. It was learning this entire new style that they weren't comfortable with. So not everybody was on the same page at all times. They would fall behind, they would get out of their systems, they would open their game up. And that's why you saw small leads become big lead or small deficits become big deficits and why they would lose games that were a lot tighter than that four to two or three to three to one score indicated. And yeah, and it's just whatever, whatever it is, something clicked collectively with this team towards the end of the season. And then I think it just kind of got gasoline on the fire for lack of a better term, once the playoffs started, because they, they looked good at the end of the regular season. They were winning games at the end of the regular season, but they didn't look the way they look now. Cause right now they look scary. good, Like they are punishing teams. They are a, almost a perfect playoff team. If you look at the way their goaltender is playing, throw that into the mix that we hadn't seen that until now, even as as good as they were playing late in the year, that got them in the playoffs, like something clicked. And this team is just uh, for Paul Maurice. I mean, they're probably as perfect as he could ask for to this point. It's exactly what these guys have been teaching. Say these guys, this coaching staff has been teaching and preaching all year. And has there ever been a better example of, do what I say, and the results will be there, then what's happening with this team right now,
0: amazing. I think there could probably be other examples, but I have a theory, and I'll run it by you because you're there and we're not. It's that this team actually did feel a ton of pressure in the regular season because when you make a coaching change after winning 122 points, and then you trade away a guy who was a Hart Trophy contender last year who just set a single-season franchise record and NHL records for points by a left winger, and you trade him away, there's a lot of pressure on you. And I think everybody in that room, and Paul Maurice knew, that if they didn't make the playoffs, the pressure was going to be on them hard in the future. And there was an interview that uh, Paul Maurice did with uh, Michael Russo in The Athletic that was interesting, and he kind of acknowledged it, but this team was, uh, again, a puck or two away from missing the playoffs. They were also more than a puck or two away from being nowhere near close to missing the playoffs it should be said for all the people saying that chicago pittsburgh game got them in i could give you multiple examples of games where the panthers should have done a lot better than they did and we wouldn't have even having this discussion of them as an eight seed but whatever let's not go into that but once they got in and once they recognized that all the pressure was going to be on the other team that they were playing in the playoffs, because they were a footnote in the Boston series, they were a footnote in the Toronto series, and in some ways they were a footnote in the Carolina series, because they're an eight seed, and because of the first two series who they were playing, they then realized, why aren't we playing with, you know, a joie de vivre, a lack of pressure, a freedom. And once it clicked that they could play with freedom, what are, what's going to happen if we lose? nothing really so let's just go out there and put the pressure on the other team and that got them their killer instinct where everything switched where now they could face adversity at a game and overcome it and that's where I think the whole you know Paul Maurice cutting promos on the bench and saying Alexander Barkov's going to bar mitzvahs when he's hurt you know I think they realized that the worst that they had possibly seen was already well behind them and by game five against Boston they're just like Let's just play without a care in the world because we're, why not? What are we going to lose? And it's worked.
1: Well, one thing that you made me think of is just a real quick uh Peter Mrazek respect for that game. He did play uh for Chicago against Pittsburgh. Cause yeah, well, obviously it all comes, it comes over the season. It shouldn't come down to one game. There's a ton of moments. I mean, just again,
0: I will make clear that there were two that game, games in November, the but, you know, not to interrupt, but, They had two games in November where, one, they gave up a three-goal lead against St. Louis in the third period, lost in overtime, and two nights later, they go to Edmonton and give up a goal to tie the game with two seconds left and lose in overtime. If they win both of those games, as normal teams do, then they have 94 points and we're not having this discussion. It's not even close. So let's say nothing of losing twice at Philly, losing at Arizona, Columbus, Chicago, whatever. But as I say, for all of the – they got in because of this one game – they screwed well enough up before that to make it harder on themselves as every NHL team does. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, that's but always back always to the killer instinct portion, I just think they legitimately got it when they started playing without fear and they realized, well, we we got here. We already faced our toughest challenges. The other team's going to be facing more pressure than we are no matter what happens. So, and now you can see them playing without any pressure. And that's how they can, you know, laugh on the bench in four overtimes, you know, when the other team in Carolina doesn't feel like they can laugh at all.
1: Yeah, I think you're just talking about a team that's extremely confident right now. They are so comfortable in the way that they're playing and feeling that they're going to have success that they can be that loose and they can be in a situation where you give up a goal late and like, you know, like they did in game four against Carolina, where you give up a late goal to tie a game and you feel more comfortable as I think it was Sam Reinhardt said after, or it may, may have been Kachuk uh, that said after that game was you just, when the game is tied, it's almost like, okay, we're back in our comfort level now, we can keep doing our thing. And uh, yeah, it's just a product of going through everything that they went through this season and finally reaching the point where they had nowhere to go but to play the style of game or to go home. And they took the, the former road and here we are, you know, waiting for the Stanley Cup final to begin. So yeah, as long as they keep that swagger, that confidence, keep playing that style, No reason to think that they're not going to come out on top of whether they play Vegas or Dallas.
0: And I go to the on-ice component of that because they actually did show this at times this year, but it was fleeting and it was kind of random. Funny enough, one of the games where I saw this kind of play was against Vegas in March. That's very strange how that happens. But in terms of on-ice, I think the confidence has led them to they're not as risk averse as they once were and they don't shell up you know when the Keith Kachuk comments happened I always took them as a well this is a team that if they give up the first goal they almost are certainly going to lose you don't need to watch the rest of the game you know that kind of that's what I interpreted those comments as and they're the opposite of that now I think it's not just because they actively believe in what they're doing, which they do. It's that they tweaked it. They made it better, you know, and against Boston, I think they really recognized how it could work. But also, I think another aspect of this is that the the rush team elements that this whole foundation was built on, it's still there. It was funny. how I was listening to Leafs fans talking about how the Panthers team are pretty slow. And I was like, no, they're not. They're still pretty fast they're just a different kind of fast than they used to be. And that's why I thought, you know, during the Toronto, especially the Boston series, the games were played at such a high tempo that the other teams couldn't keep up. And that's the core of the rush team that they still are.
1: Yeah. Well, let's say like Paul Maurice said when, when he got hired, he didn't want to take away anything that they did. He just wanted to make some tweaks to it. The rush team is still there. The difference is, and, and what you're seeing now Uh, Now that they've kind of mastered this new style, what you're seeing the difference in what we saw last year is why we saw a high scoring fun back and forth games last year. The Panthers were so dedicated to that rush game that even when necessarily the option wouldn't be there to get in the zone, they'd stick with it and turnovers would happen lead to opportunities the other way. And that's kind of the style of play we saw last season. This year they had to figure out that no, when the opportunity is not there because you know, they're getting their exits Sometimes they'll do uh, dump zones or dump exits when they're getting out of the offensive zone or out of the defensive zone just to get it out. But that's, you know, another thing entirely just in terms of possession. But no, like nowadays, if they don't have it when they're rushing into the zone, they're perfectly comfortable with dumping the puck in and going to work. That's something that took them months to get to the comfort level that they have now. Um, But it's nothing like what we saw last season. Last season, as I said, it was all about possessing the puck regardless of what was happening with the other team. Now it's a little bit more read and react and being comfortable where, as you said, the rush game is still there, and the talent to perform and to produce in that level of game and that style of play is still very much there. They just play a much more responsible brand of hockey, where they're not afraid to give up the puck and go go to work and put the other team on their heels a little bit. And and as you're you know as we're seeing, it's it's uh, it's been playing to perfection in the playoffs so far.
0: I would say that this team isn't a rush team anymore, but is a high event team. Like they're very comfortable. If the game is a high event game. And yeah, that, they,
1: can, they can play whatever you need. That's that's why they're succeeding.
0: But I as I as I thought, like, particularly against Boston, it also happened against Toronto, is that those other teams were just incapable of slowing the games down. And that was, I think, their biggest strength. And that's where I give the coaching staff credit because they said, well, we have athletes. Even if we're not gonna do the rush thing, you know, we could be aggressive on the forecheck and keep coming at you because, you know, we've got Brandon Montour and we've got these guys who could skate for nearly four overtimes and they're just not going to get tired. And that to me was the difference in so many of these games when the other team started to tire out and the Panthers just kept going. And whether it's because they have better athletes, which we're talking about 0.01% better athletes at this level, or it's because other teams just are not capable of dealing with that forecheck working uh I have to ask although you are a member of the goalie union so I don't know whether you're going to be biased here or not uh since we're going to spend the next six days talking about who the heart favorite is on Florida who, who are you picking I mean Con Smythe yeah I met Con Smythe yes yeah it's Sunday night Memorial uh, Day weekend my brain doesn't not work a,
1: not at all just making sure we're on the same page I yes, was we having are. the same the same like inner conversation with myself a few hours ago today actually Matt um well, we're all because having it's, it
0: And I honestly, if I'm going to make my opinion, my co-host will probably have something a little different. I honestly don't think there's any difference. And in many con Smythe races in the past, there are players who should have won it, but didn't because there were other good choices. And if the Panthers win the cup, one very good choice, isn't going to win it. And such is life.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the good thing is that, you know, assuming the Panthers do win and it's, Comes down to either Matthew Kachuk or Sergei Bobrovsky. There's no wrong answer. It's not going to be like where one gets picked and not the other and people are rabble, rabble, rabbling about it because they've both been so good. I think it's going to, you know, it'll come down to what we see uh, over the next series because, you know, at the end of the Boston series, Kachuk probably is the guy. At the end of the Toronto series, Bob is definitely the guy. I mean, Kachuk had the sword in a few games at that point. So Bob was the guy. Now, after what happened against Carolina, they're both basically neck and neck because Bob is still playing otherworldly. Like Bob has never played in the Panthers' uniform before. He is so good right now. He is so in the zone. And then you've got Kachuk, who can't stop scoring dramatic game-winning goals. And yeah, it's there's no wrong answer at this point. And I honestly, if if I if I had to make my vote right now, I. Maybe I would lean goalie because I'm a biased goalie, and I'm you know that that's the only thing I can really hang my hat on just because they've both been so integral to Florida' success. Like you take one away, and it's the same effect. Bob has been so good keeping them in games, but they wouldn't have won half the games they won without Matthew Kachuk's goals. So it's it's tough. It's hopefully we'll get some some guidance and some clarity in the final. Maybe Bob will get like three shutouts, or Matthew Kachuk will score 12 goals in four games, or you know, one of them will just go crazy, but it's a great, great problem to have at this point.
0: Mm -hmm. And I have not decided on who I would pick either. I think they're both pretty even right now. Uh, I I know we talked a little about Alexander Barkov earlier, but I have to talk about it, even though he's not going to say anything that puts the spotlight on him. That's just not who he is. Deep down, I think he's got to be ecstatic, not just because he's going on this run, but that all of the stuff he went through you know with this as i said eight coaches in 10 years was worth it and i know probably around the league there and certainly around the team like they're just ecstatic for everybody but mostly ecstatic for him because he gets the credit he's long deserved even if he's not the number one focal point of a cup run which we all thought would have to be the case at some point point. and he's been exceptional like from a defensive standpoint you can't ask him to do anymore right but I think everybody's just happy for him that he's finally going on this run and he's getting that moment, you know, that he's long deserved but never had because he's never had the cast or the circumstance because it's the Florida Panthers to get to this point.
1: I think a great example of that is after they won game four, uh, because you, we all know Sasha, he's a lead by example guy. He's kind of got a sneaky sense of humor, but he's quiet guy. You know, he's not going to be the flashy guy, right? So Matthew Kachuk has been somebody that's taken a lot of that pressure off Barkov, the way he's performed on the ice, and just been a great teammate. So go to game four. What's what's everybody asking when the game is over? What's the big oh, What are they going to do with the trophy? Oh, what are they? What's going to happen? Matthew Kachuk took all that pressure away from Barkov. He jumped in front of him, put his hands all over that thing before Barkov could even look at it. And said, nope Kachuk already did it, it's done. Now Barkov can pick it up, carry it off the ice. Nobody's even thinking about Sasha Barkov. And and that's just kind of a microcosm of how much Matthew Tkachuk has meant to Sasha Barkov. And that's you know, nothing to take away from his previous, you know, you know, sidekick, you know, one A and one B when he when Jonathan Huberto was here, but Matthew Kachuk is just a different breed of man, he's built. Differently, he's got that dog in him, is that is, I think, Jameson from the Panthers likes to say, uh, on Twitter sometimes. Overused Just,
0: Twitter meme, yeah,
1: well, that's I, an everybody you know overuses that meme. It's it's so true with Matthew Kachuk, though. I mean, he it is. It is. that doesn't mean it's guy. not
0: overused, but it's true,
1: yeah. But I think that's a big part of it. I think, uh, the Panthers cast, particularly Matthew Kachuk, but I think that supporting cast has really allowed Sasha to be whatever he needs to be be the captain and the leader that he needs to be and not feel that pressure not that he does because it's barkov and he's just such a stoic guy that just goes to work every day and doesn't let things really bother him from the outside um but yeah i think it's it's just a collection of the perfect cast of characters that's you know they're kind of helping each other out i mean look what sam bennett of all players has done to this lineup and how he built uh, how he helps players grow and how that second line has probably been for his most consistent line all season um yeah it's just kind of A perfect situation for a lot of guys, but I think with Barkov particularly, because he's been here for 10 years, he's gone through so much. He's been on teams that finished at the bottom of the standings. He's been on teams that won the President's Trophy, but he's never really had that playoff success. None of them have. Um, And Aaron Ekblad is, you know, just like Barkov, they've been here forever. And it's really cool just to see them smiling and enjoying it, because you know, they're never going to talk about it because this is a team collective. But you know those guys, they've been here so long. They've been in that locker room, at those stalls for so long that they've got to be just soaking this up and enjoying every single second of it.
0: Well, cause we thought for years that if Barkoff wasn't going to get one of these that he's was going to look elsewhere. Why would anybody want to keep plugging away if the same mistakes were going to happen over and over again and having the great seasons they have had coming out of COVID convinced him that this was probably going to work at some point. I don't know if I thought it was going to be this team, but stick to even through the worst of situations. And he dealt with a lot of really bad stuff. He was able to keep going. And I thought that Matthew Kachuk was going to bring something different out of him than what's actually happened, which is more that Matthew Kachuk's taken some of the, the duties, as you said, like he's been the public face of a lot of this. And he's allowed Alexander Barkov to just go and do his thing, you know? And that's how he likes it. And instead of adding... I don't think Sasha Barkov's necessarily a different person for having played with Matthew Kachuk or even a different hockey player, but he's a better version of himself because Matthew Kachuk could take all the other stuff and that oxygen and let him just be him. You know, it was a long time ago that we were all wondering where was he in the first couple games of this series? And Paul Maurice was like, Oh, he was sick. Uh, The Boston series, I should say. Yeah. I also want to ask this because my theory on this team and it's, Ability to grow the way it has came down to something I find interesting about this coach and GM specifically, which is that they're both really good communicators. And I wrote about it in the substack. You can go read my thoughts if you want to, and I encourage you to do so. But Paul Maurice's best skill is as a communicator in press conferences and on the bench. He knows exactly when he has to blow up at officials. He knows exactly what he's got to blow up with his team. And once he got the best sense of his dressing room, as you said, the end of 2022, beginning of 2023 time where rumors are there was a players only meeting at that point, that's when I think it may have clicked because I think he just communicates what he wants and communicates that as well to the public and to the fans in a way that works. And that's kind of why I think Bill Zito saw a lot in him because they both have to be pretty good communicators in order to succeed, you know? And that's how you can get situations like Paul Maurice joking around on the bench during in-game interviews, which he's done all the time in the postseason, because he knows that's what his team needs, you know? And I'm not saying that previous Panthers coaches weren't good at that. It's just that I think that Paul Maurice and by some extent, Bill Zito understood that in a way for this group that's helped it click. Whereas in previous combinations it did, and if that makes sense.
1: Well, I think it's it's a combination of everything. Uh, it, you know, not to not to dance around what you're saying. I I just think it's you've got. I mean, Bill Zito has had a perfect idea of what this team has needed since he got here, and has made move after move after move that have paid off greatly. And it, and I, you could add Paul Maurice to that list at this point. Uh, And credits to both of those guys, they've both been so constant and so stoic and stable in the messages. I mean, particularly Maurice, because we speak to him every single day as the year has gone on. But as the team has had its ups and downs and they've ebbed and flowed and, you know, obviously they picked up the pace at the end of the season, his message was always the same. And, and to Zito's credit, I've spoke to Zito multiple times this year. Uh, The last time I remember was right after the trade deadline, right around mid-March, and I, I flat out asked him, I was like, just you've, you know, stood behind Paul Maurice to this point, just what is it that you're seeing that, you know, gives you this confidence that, that, that was the right decision. And he just said everything that I just said about how Paul Maurice, he's consistent, he's stable, he knows what he's trying to teach these players. He knows that when they start to perform the way the coaching staff has been teaching, guiding, uh, that it will work there was always this confidence, whether it was from Zito or from Maurice. And sure enough, uh, you know, both men have been dead on right this entire time. Uh, And I, you know, you credit to Maurice for sticking with it and for sticking with his players and supporting them and giving them everything they needed to succeed in his system throughout the year. And on that same token, you credit Zito and his front office for not getting frustrated and not, you know, start wringing their hands as the season didn't go the way you'd hoped and just sticking with it and trusting their coaching staff. And, uh, you know, you could say it reverberates from the top to the bottom, that there's this trust, that this level of communication, as you talked about, and it's producing a Stanley Cup contending finalist. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know who you want to credit more, Zito or Maurice, because you're talking, you know, zeroed in or widened out, but uh, everything together is, it's finally come together for the Florida Panthers.
0: I think it's because that both saw something similar in each other that is as i said the communication aspect of it that bill zito's pretty good at and he has to be i mean if you're an agent you have to be that and that that's paul maurice's great strength i don't even think it's x's and o's but everybody will tell you he's he's a good quote you know he's fun to talk to at press conference he doesn't give cliched answers you know and that helps and if you're good at communication which is a very underrated aspect of building a team culture, it's more underrated than it should be, you know, you can see how those two would be willing to commit to one another because they see something similar in each other. And I'm not saying that that was any different with previous coaches, circumstance to circumstance, but that might be why I think it, it kind of worked out because the consistency comes from those two understanding each other in a way that, you know, you you have to have with coach and GM, particularly when you're in the position that they were in, and having to sell what they had to sell, and that's what was unique about it to me. Because put it this way, if I was in their position, I would have trouble being that consistent. That's why because they, the are, who they was are. on, you know. Yep. That's and, why
1: they get paid the big butts. That's why they're the ones in their position. And they, that's why and that's why that we way. don't
0: get paid anywhere near what they do. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> uh, journalism, isn't it, isn't it great? How about stories covering this postseason run that you don't think have been covered enough, whether it be by the Florida media or the media that has come down and covered this team as they've gone on their runs? I've talked this postseason about how great players like Lundell and Los Duranen have been. I think they've been integral in what this team has done. And... It's not just the stars, it's everybody else raising their level, particularly players who, like Aaron Eckblad, who didn't have the best of regular seasons. I don't even think Gustav Forsling had a great regular season, but they've had great postseasons. Uh, any unsung heroes, unsung stories that you've wanted to shine a spotlight on that you don't think have gotten a big enough spotlight?
1: Um, it's tough to say just because I feel like, at least personally, and I don't know if you guys feel the same, just – it's been six weeks of um, amazing playoff coverage. I just feel like we've talked about so much. But one, as you were saying, that one thing that kind of popped into my head, and you know, maybe it's not the best story or the most exciting story, but I think it's something that's not talked about just in terms of how it contributes to the Panthers' success, and that is the fourth line. And I say that because, and look, I've seen the fourth line get kind of bogged down in the defensive zone, and they've had some shifts where they've struggled. They obviously up with a huge goal in game four they almost came up with two lombard hit a post in addition to scoring but the fourth line's ability to go out there and just basically put in a good you know 90 second shift every four minutes and allow the other lines that much more time to rest that much more time to recover after whether it's a penalty kill or a power play when the lines are a little shaken up the florida's ability to be able to churn out that fourth line and for them not to really cost the team that dearly to this point. And, yeah, they've, they've had some rough shifts, but they've held their own. Uh, I think that's been a pretty big key uh, to why Ford has been able to succeed, because uh, particularly with all the overtime games. Um, and you mentioned it. you got guys that still look fresh. And I think that's a big part of it is just their ability to continue to roll four lines. So I hope that's a good
0: answer. <laughs> I think the other one is that their specialty teams have improved dramatically last year of course the story was they had one goal it was like one for 41 in the power play in the postseason and they won the specialty teams battle the last two series against teams that have demonstrably better special teams or should at least in theory than they did yeah which this yeah, was not terrible. a good special teams team this year at all they would either run really hot or ice cold and those have been way better than i could have expected and that is credit to the coaching staff because they didn't really make adjustments to those areas really all year. And I know I was not pleased with that, and many were not pleased with that. And in the postseason, when it mattered the most, you know, game one in the millionth overtime, they had big penalty kills and they go two for four in the power play in game four to win the series against Carolina.
1: Yeah. You know? It's, and uh, you've heard kind of Paul Maurice talk about from series to series, whether it was, Toronto series and dealing with their um, insanely good power play and having the penalty kill adjust as the year, as the series went on or against Carolina who had a, what was it like 90% success rate on the penalty kill uh, and it's just terribly, terribly good. And the Ford this power play looked atrocious early in that series before gradually getting better to the point where Paul Maurice is giving Jamie, Jamie Kompon who runs the power play a gut shot when Matthew got scored in game four, cause he was so excited what for what the power play had done in that series and how they'd come back so yeah it's it's pretty remarkable how they've been able to improve on those little things not little things but those little elements different aspects of the game series the series you know almost game to game where you see the power play gradually improve you see the penalty kill get a little bit better as the series goes on against teams that were the best in those particular areas, whether it was Toronto in the power play, Carolina and the penalty kill, Boston's power play was so good at the end of the season, and, and their penalty kill, like Boston's special teams was dominant in the beginning of that series and gradually the Panthers started to win those battles a little bit more. So yeah, I think that's another great one. And I think uh, 100% agree with you that uh, the coaching staff gets the credit because it's those two assistant coaches, whether it's Jamie Compon or Sylvain Lefebvre, working on the special teams uh, that have just zeroed in really done a great job of finding the tweaks to make in series to get results. And that's a big part of what's gotten him to this point.
0: I will not leave Tuomo Ruto out, even though we don't exactly know how much he's contributed to either area, but <laughs> I, I, we, it's care against Carolina. We have to give him some credit, right? I'm sure he, he's probably Hurricanes. had
1: some, he, him and Mo and, you know, even, even Eric Stahl to, to a point, you know, I'm sure they all had little, little pieces of advice on, you know, whether it's the the soft spot in the boards to aim for or whatever it was, I'm sure they had little little things that helped that series. You don't sweep a team like Carolina without a little bit of behind-the-scenes help.
0: The A2 Los terrain and then Gustav Forsling Revenge Series. There you go. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what that was. Um, I expected by the time we did this show to know who they were playing. I, I mean, you could say it's still probably Vegas, but recent events have shown us that you shouldn't predict these things with any sort of certainty because you'll end up looking like you're wrong very, very quickly. So I I don't think it's going to matter who they play. I'm going to pick them to beat them because they've shown no evidence that they're going to drop their form at any point. Somebody has to be better than them at this point, but is there a matchup that you think better suits them? Because it's pretty even at this point, you're playing a really good team regardless, but who, who do you think it is? I think it would be a very interesting story if they could beat Vegas for a ton of reasons, even though I think Dallas is great, you know, really fun team beating Vegas for a ton of reasons would be fascinating if they could do it.
1: Well, Vegas is probably the deeper team. You know, Vegas is probably a little bit more skill. Dallas is maybe a little bit more of the skill team internally, you know, like in terms of like chair- when you go from like a Toronto to a Carolina, right. Um, but, yeah, at, at this point, as long as they keep playing their game, I don't think it really makes a huge difference which team they play. I mean, I just think when, when you're looking at it on paper, Vegas is a little bit more formidable. They, they've got these massive defensemen. Uh, you know, it's not that dissimilar to what Carolina did, just a big back line and a lot of skill up front. Dallas, they've got the edge in goaltending. Jake Ottinger is a beast when he's on his game. And Dallas has some really highly skilled guys up front. I mean, what Jason Robertson is doing in that series, you got Rope Hintz, you got Joe Pavelski. So, man, obviously, Mush, Mason Marchman, our old friend from here in South Florida. Um, either series would be tough. Uh, I just think Vegas might be a little scarier on paper. But again, just back to the original point, doesn't really matter. As long as Florida keeps playing the way they've been playing, I think it really won't make a huge difference. If they continue on this path, hard to not pick them to be the Stanley Cup champion.
0: By the time you're listening to this, you soon might find out. <laughs> and by the time you're listening to this, uh, well, I hope the Heat win. I'm I'm going nice. to comment no further on this because I know most of you, unlike me, root for both. And I don't want to see what I fear is going to happen, is going to happen. Although I guess in that case, for Boston and South Florida, you would just call it a draw and move on. <laughs> Just say we blew each other up. Let's move on.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I I had this thought, this thought popped into my head after I think game five of the, the Heat series was just how how much more fun would it be as a as a Miami sports fan with a huge rivalry with the Boston sports fans? As as your typical Miami sports fan, how how nice would it be to build up Boston to the point where their chests are so inflated and confident coming back from an O3 deficit, game seven at home? Just cocky and confident and then oh, go the Heat go win that game on the road, which would be such a Jimmy Butler move, such a thing that a Pat Riley team would do. So that's what's kind of been giving me some solace as a Heat fan, is that yeah, they've they had the 3-0 lead, but you know what would be great? Go win game seven in Boston. So that that that's kind of been what I've been
0: able to I mean, two my game sevens the in last the same year from South Florida, eight seeds in that building. I mean, they might have it condemned. They if
1: the Heat win that game, then they may not allow any South Florida teams in that arena next season. They might just forfeit.
0: Where where would they play? I, I, oh, they'll play in Hartford. How about that? Oh, the Dunkin' Donut Center, sure. Providence, but close enough. Oh, sorry, I was thinking. I was thinking they're just going to move them to Hartford. That was a Patriots joke that didn't quite work. Anyway, uh David, where can people <laughs> find your work that we will be reading endlessly for the next three weeks?
1: Oh, uh, um. Thank you again for having me on, Matt, by the way. Um, I appreciate the time. Um, You can find my written work, the majority of it will be on the hockeynews.com, just the hockeynews slash Florida, THN slash Florida. Um, It's it's all right up there. Uh, All my stuff goes on my Twitter account, in addition to all my coverage and musings from games and practices and all that good stuff, um, at David Dwork on Twitter. And uh, I also have the Chirping the Cats podcast, which uh, is run through Local 10. Uh, I do have written work that goes on local10.com as well. And I think I've spoken about my stuff enough. Thank you again for the opportunity.
0: Of course, and but I have to ask just, one more thing that just came to my head. Cause again, I'm not there. So I could only see it from the outside. Uh, what's it like to see the casual South Florida sports fan and the just casual South Florida resident get onto this run? What's that been like for you?
1: It's fun. It's great. I mean- I grew up in this city in this region. I, you know, I grew up as a young hockey player, a young Panther fan, and I do remember. I was a young teenager at the time, but I do remember what it was like on that '96 run. I remember like listening to Power '96, which is one of the big radio stations down here, and they were playing like, you know, makeshift Panthers rap songs to get people pumped up. And it was on the news every night, and th- like those are the memories that I have from back then. And to see that happening again now. With, you know, people talking about you wear Panther shirts at the gas station and somebody's like says something to you, which is unheard of. But that's what's happening right now down here. Um, so it's been wonderful. And I sincerely hope that all the Panthers fans that have been down here uh, for all these years that have been long suffering with this team, I hope that they are soaking up every second of this because it has been so glorious, Matt. And I hope that the fans down here are just loving it as much as it, it certainly looks like they are.
0: I think everybody's just having a blast at enjoying the run and not thinking about it too hard. You know, this is one of those, this is one of those runs where you, you really don't think you just enjoy. And then at some point in August, it'll hit you. What happened? I mean, whether they win the cup or not, then it'll hit you like, yeah, that just happened. And I don't even want to, you know, we'll get to the fan. You know, I don't want to say fan implications, but the idea of growing the fan base at another time, that's not what this is for. And, uh, as I said, I always had thought that the Panthers' best run was going to come at a time when the whole market was to themselves, but it's been a lot – it's been more fun than I thought it would be to watch them and the Heat go at the same time because yeah, that- they kind of felt – they fed off each other, and I, I, as I said, I long thought that the Panthers' best chance was going to be if they did this all by themselves, and the Heat going at a similar kind of pace was not good for them, but that turned out to be entirely wrong, so there you go. <laughs>
1: Anyway, David, it's been great to
0: speak with you, and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again at a cup rate. That
1: sounds like a plan. Let's do it in a
0: couple weeks, uh, celebrating the Stanley Cup.